Welcome to the Generic Podcast, where we talk about horror, science fiction, and sometimes fantasy. gentlemen welcome to another episode of the generic podcast today i'm really ecstatic we have a really cool guest on the show mark taos how are you doing today man i am top notch thank you very much generic it's an absolute pleasure to be here looking forward to it yeah i'm, I'm thankful to have you on the show i mean it's, it's a little bit uh, bright and early for you today but <laughs> it is i just had time to do my air but i haven't done a very good job but it's a good job uh, people can't see this but there you go it's all right we'll we'll carry on <laughs> so uh, before we get into, you know, the whole show and everything and uh, what we got in store for today, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into writing horror? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So look, I mean, rewinding, well, maybe just shy of four decades now, um, I grew up reading Stephen King and James Herbert. They were my go-to. First library card I got, it was um, Cujo. I remember that, getting that book home, the smell of it and everything and the summer breeze coming through the window and just um, getting lost in that magic world. It was it was delightful. And after that, I became an addict at school. Back in my day, so let me dad when I say that, but English was never really something that was promoted, the arts, et cetera. It, was, it wasn't something that was a go-to. So I ended up doing maths. I did a degree in maths and ended up in sales for, for 30 years somehow. You know, I, I was pretty much drinking a bottle of wine every night, getting to that stage of thinking, oh, there's got to be more to life than this. And my wife suggested, you've always talked about writing. Why don't you go out and do it? So I did. I wrote a little story called Hugh's Friend, sent it off to a magazine. Uh, they paid me 75 bucks for it which to me, it might as well have been, you know, a gold bullion, to be honest with you. And from that moment, I was hooked. Um, why horror? It was always horror. I've always been fascinated by the dark side of people's personalities as well. Um, beyond the superficiality of everyday chat, I want to know, I want to dig through all those layers and find out what people are really thinking, you know, what sort of really floats their boat, so to speak. So I've always had a fascination with that. And for me, writing... Sorry, that's a very long-winded answer. But for me, writing was was the best therapy in the world. You know, it, it was a release of all the bile, everything that was, you know, the, the dark cloud that was following me around. And it took me back to being a child again, sat on that bed reading Stephen King and James Herbert. I was, it was magic world. And I was, I was lost and I was hooked. And five years on, um, you know, I've written a few novellas and uh, just finished my debut novel and excited to see, you know, what happens in the future. Do you find that there's like a, a major difference? Like since you since you started writing, yep. you know, you go through the the short story submissions with the magazines and then you start with the like the novellas. And now, like you said, you got your first debut novel. Uh, do you notice any major differences in the way that you're approaching your different kinds of writing as far as length? Or is it pretty much the same process for you, but just elongated? That's an awesome question, actually. I don't think there's any any difference in the way I approach things. Uh, my, I'm very habitual, so my setup has got to be 
the same every time if i can't sit in a different location and write i mean that, that, that sounds so bizarre but everything has got to be perfect i've got to have six copies before i begin all that kind of crazy <laughs> crap. But, but in terms of the approach no i've tried to keep everything as raw as possible and i think that's very important you know there, there's a tendency of like you know when you start writing raw and when you when you do develop a reader base that when the pressure starts to detract from that rawness and you start to try and write things that will please readers rather than my main priority is having fun along the way. And if I'm not having fun, then I can't imagine that readers will be too. So just trying to maintain that rawness is, is super important for me. And that's why I like to lighten a lot of my stuff up with some comedy. I mean, even when I'm writing about the very dark stuff, there's a thread of comedy running through that in terms of the characters or, you know, it's, it's comedy is very important for me in the same way that, you know, smell is in terms of the senses, um, in terms of rounding off characters, rounding off environments and so forth. But but there's no difference in my approach. I just get my head down and go for it. And most of the time it's on a wing and a prayer. Most of the time it's not planned. It's just it's just by the seat of my pants. But but that for me is a true adventure. You know, it's like going on a hike, you know, filling your backpack and not knowing where you're going to end up. That 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 for me keeps me coming back. And if I knew the format, if I if I had a set structure, it would wouldn't be half as interesting for me. Yeah. So so with with writing, then I'm I'm guessing then you're more of a pantser than you are a planner. Indeed, yeah, indeed, and and that's fine for short stories and novellas. Uh, the novel was a little bit trickier in terms of tackling that, but you know the the majority of it was purely. I hate the, using the word organic, but it, but it was, I had an idea. So I had like a very, very few notes written down. So it wasn't plotted. It wasn't like, you know, big pages of notes for each chapter. It was very basic, very brief bulletin points. And I just let the story grow from there. But I changed it halfway through anyway and went, went with my good feeling, which I'm really glad I did because it works really well, I think. So I do a lot of panting as well. Like I have like, I have like a stack over here of stuff that like I'm going through and editing now. And I know that there's several different levels of, of panting. You know, some people will sit down and cut a chunk of their day out and write and not go back and edit anything. And then sometimes people sit down and they'll do their writing and just let everything flow and then they'll edit. And so yeah. I'm more of the mind frame that, especially with some of the short stories that I'm sitting down and, and editing now, uh, I find that it's easier for me to sit down and just write the whole thing, step yeah. away for a while, and then come back and edit the whole thing rather than write, edit in one session, come back and then write and edit again. Because I feel like the editing, at least for me, uh, doing it midway or in chunks as I'm writing, I feel like that kind of could possibly change the trajectory of where I'm bringing the story. And I'm, yeah. is that something that you do as well? Or you when I first started, yeah, I would definitely just just let the let my fingers go and then review it later. It gets more difficult to do that. I mean, I've been doing this now five years, so like. The, the sort of editor in me now sort of like tries to draws me back into the story. So, like, oh, you, you know, that's not right. That, that sentence structure is not right. So um, I try and ignore that as best I can, but quite often I will now edit as I go sort of roughly uh, not to the extent of, you know, yeah, you know, making sure everything is, is, is perfect, but yeah, that, that sort of editor that sort of grows within you mm -hmm. um, as you, as you go down this path, it's hard to get away from that sometimes. But that said, that said, you, you sort of just just 
No. I mean, like I say, I mean, I've been writing intensively for five years. I mean, not, not just on and off. I mean, I've been very prolific and that's been a sacrifice to say the least, but it's definitely helped me in terms of accelerating to where I am today. When I look back at my older stuff, the sort of the technicalities come a little bit more naturally these days. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry too much about going back to these stories and, and editing the hell out of them. But yeah, when I first started, it was purely about the rawness, purely about trying to keep it as organic as possible without disrupting it by, you know, through a series of edits. And that would come at the end, like you said, for sure. Yeah. And so one of the things that you had mentioned earlier, which I notice a lot in your writing and is something that I try to do a lot too, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of novels that I've read, especially that could be a little bit on the longer side, but they don't really nail down all the five sentence uh, senses. And so yep. one of the things that I noticed with your writing is that aside from the description and the character development, you also incorporate a lot of really good description of scent, which helps the reader kind of construct the different images in their head while they're reading the stories. I mean, and especially like when I was reading The Bucket List and I was going through that and some of the scenes, I feel like without the sensory input that you had in there, it would not make the scenes as gripping and kind of off-putting as they were. And so is that something that you have started to really look at more as you go on with your writing career? Or is that something that you kind of just knew right off the bat, like, this is something that I, I need to incorporate? No, um, again, a great question, but that, that was something I picked up later on, for sure. The first stories, yeah, I mean, what, what was a really good experience was having some of these stories put onto podcasts, because you get a feel for not only repeated words and all that sort of the technical stuff, but you get a feeling for how immersive the environment is on podcasts when someone is rating it. And I, I think it was missing from my earlier work. And like you said, it's missed a lot, to be honest with you. But smell is so important. I mean, we generally smell something or we can smell something before we see it. So it's it's a big part of introducing an environment or especially when you're talking about old people. <laughs> you quite often smell them before you see them. I'm gonna joke. Um, but yeah, it's it's a big part of it's a big part of how I write now because I mean, just like humor rounds off characters um i think smells and etc and uh definitely round off the environments and it just helps create that extra dimension for readers to lose themselves in and mm-hmm. yeah so you could put yeah something was dripping the back of the cave but you know you need something more i mean what does it smell right. like you've got the petrichor you've got the moss or whatever it may be it's just it's just that extra level just to sort of make sure that they're they're buying into the whole thing really right i mean i, I Whenever I think of novels and and short stories and everything that do that stuff really well, I always kind of laugh to myself because I I have always thought it would be really interesting, even as a kid. And, you know, like I I love going to the theater and, uh, you know, watching all sorts of different films. And I remember I wasn't around for this movie at all, but there's this movie, I believe it's called The Tingler. Yeah. Uh, Have you seen that one? You're familiar yeah, I'm familiar, but I've not seen it, but I'm familiar with it. Yes, indeed. So yeah. um, there's like these, and, and I might be I, I might be confusing it with another one, but I'm pretty sure it's uh it's like these invisible brains 
<laughs> with like this, you know, it's like the the spinal column or whatever, and it just like crawls around. Yeah. They latch onto people and and take over them, and eventually yeah. kill them. And I remember watching one of the promos for it, and there was like some kind of like shock or something that they had with the seats and they had like some kind of like aroma thing that was going on that that, that they yeah. did and i was like man that'd be, that'd be really cool if you know more films like if you went to go see it in the theater and they just like up the experience by like it's not only is it 3d but now yeah. you're getting like the actual scent you know and it's like when you're reading stories that are really well written as far as description of smell uh a lot of the times like if it's too well done sometimes i have to stop for a second and kind of like take everything in because you hit this on the head with one of your stories on the candle maker um yeah. and how you're using scent in that one how powerful it is as far as like bringing people back into memories and yeah. a lot of the times you know, it's like when you walk down the street and you you smell like the street vendor food or, you know, you're you're in the woods and you get that like campfirey smell. And then it yeah. just, like, brings you back and you're like, oh, man, like I, re I yeah. remember, you know, when I was a kid you know, doing Absolutely. all those kinds of things. So sense yeah. it feels like the one of the most integral parts of writing. So I'm glad it's something that you put in your yeah. writing. As you correctly said, I mean, sense can just whip you back into another time. I mean, it's 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 all about the nostalgia. It's all about, you know, that the, the time you had to stay in Nana's house and you you, you smell of all that, the 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 fire, the, the the open fire burning, and um, you know, the sort of the dampness and so forth and all that kind of stuff. It's it's so important. Uh, like you said, I think it is a mistrick at times, but it's such a powerful thing that can really you know jolt a, a really powerful emotion out of us but yeah i think it's so important in setting up a scene for sure uh, there's another one i did called tear me down which was on the uh, no sleep podcast or the gray rooms podcast but that was all about a person falling into a, a painting and it was it's not a um it's not like a, a new trope or anything like that but um the feedback i got from that story was really good because it was all about the smells that were emanating from from the picture Mm -hmm. um you know and the guy was looking around thinking oh you know there must be some kind of setup here or there must be some kind of spray but um but it was all about that sort of enticing him closer and closer until you know there was no going back he was now in the painting and there was no escape and what happened after that is a different story but um uh, but yeah i think i think smells are so powerful yeah it's it's a big big part of how i write these days and it's something that i definitely miss looking back on my old stuff but that's okay we live and learn <laughs> yeah it's it's i think it's a, it's a good segue into one of the questions that we have especially when we're talking about you know visiting our grandparents and that kind of like weird sometimes it's like a weird musty smell like i like when i think of like visiting my grandparents there's like a weird it's like a it's like a the day after it's rained and you go down into yeah. the basement and you have like that yeah. weird kind of chilly like a, like a, like you know, a wash that's been hanging out for too long indoors yeah yeah. yeah that's the one, that's the one. So, uh, how the, the question here is how and why do you manage to make old people so creepy all right there's a few triggers on this question none, none of them traumatic uh purely nostalgic but where i grew up i was i was on the borderline of the posh part of town so i went to a posh school uh, even though i wasn't 
you know, even though I, I wore Gola trainers and had a five-speed bike where everyone else had, you know, 10, 15 speeds, so I had to pedal twice, three times as fast. But they all used to go every year on their lovely, luxurious ski holidays and whatnot, or to the Algarve or somewhere tropical. And every year, because we didn't have much money, we used to go on a, uh, a coach holiday um, to the English Riviera, as they call it, which would generally be Torquay, Cornwall, somewhere down south. And every year it was the same setup. The bus would be 90% full of crusties, as I, as I call them, sort of in a very affectionate way, though, <laughs> uh, because either they're too ill to fly or too poor, uh, what have you. So my earliest memories of, of going on holiday was sat between these, these old people, you know, with their gummy smiles and their, you know, their over-scented, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it was, and there was always one sarcastic old bastard at the front, you know, um, just always cutting the jokes and yeah. And it, 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 that for me though, was, was, was fun. It was, it's a fond memory and you pick up on a lot of those idiosyncrasies and, and body language of these old people. And I wanted to translate that. I wanted to bring that into, I wanted to put people on that bus and, um, and, and launch these old people on them. So that, that was part of it, but obviously to the nth degree and it accelerates in their, uh, their behavior. And another part was, so my, my son, Adam, um, had his first paper around a few years ago. It was his first job. And we ended up down this sort of semi-retired retired street, mm-hmm. um, all the curtains twitching, black cats everywhere you look and this strange eclectic mix of statues in all the gardens, little cherubs, you know, standing up holding their little wieners and what have you it's all very odd but and i remember this one guy came out this this um not a hair on his head and two massive massive eyebrows like two caterpillars just... <laughs> and his eyes were pointing in different directions too just to add to the general look of it i remember him trying to engage in a conversation with my son because obviously he was lonely he just wanted to come out and have a quick chat with him and my son you could see the color draining from his face. He was absolutely terrified of this person. And it was the alienation between them that has always stuck in my mind. It's always, oh, there's some really good material there. And it was just watching that interaction that definitely, I think, ignited some of these stories. But yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just funny. I mean, we, we look at these, we look at old people as sort of almost, I don't know, as, as a... As, Without, without you know, give, attaching them a character, without giving them, you know, the, the sort of time of day. But you know, we're all children. Doesn't matter how old we are. I know I am. I'm fifty, but I'm, I'm, I'm like a kid. You know, I mean, I, I, I love to laugh. You know, I, the, the pursuit for me is to, is to laugh like I did in the, in the playground at school. You know, when you just got tears in your eyes and you just can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I just, I just wanted to sort of show that old people can be funny too but also add that creepiness factor and then take it to the nth degree. I just think they're such good material, to be honest. There's a lot of interest, I think, like when you sit, when when people actually sit down and talk to, to old people and it's like a lot of the stories that they have and it's like you you see that like glint in their eye. It's, you know, like kind of what you were saying with, you know, you want to be able to laugh like when you were a kid. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, it's like, A, you know, it's like, what you're saying you know sometimes it's like people don't associate the person with like oh yeah like they have they have a history it's like oh it's just an old person you know but so you went down and talk to them and it's like they have all these stories and it's like they're just so excited that somebody wants to talk to them about everything and uh you know just some of the stories i I remember uh, when i was a lot younger 
and probably some of the stories that I was told I, I probably <laughs> shouldn't have been told. Um, but my father worked for the, uh, the, the VA and uh, some of the veterans that I spoke to that were, you know, pretty up there in age. It's like sometimes they, you know, they'd go from when they were a kid and then they'd switch it to like, you know, I'm, when I was, you know, fighting in, you know, Vietnam or, uh, yeah. you know, when I was in World War II and like this or that happened. And like I went from like laughing hysterically and then I was just like, yeah. uh, like, do I do I laugh at this part or like, I don't know. It's like, you know, because yeah. and I, I think a lot of that is like sometimes when they're telling some more traumatic stories, I'm not saying that everybody who is old has always been in a war. But sometimes it's like the, the the more traumatic stories that they tell. It's like in order for them to cope with it, they found a funny way to to tell it. Yeah. And uh, I, it's yeah. I feel like that's kind of a paramount thing when I'm reading horror that really draws me in. I don't mind super aggressive horror if that's the direction that the writer wants to go. But yeah. inserting that little bit of charismatic like funny business into the story I feel is really what brings it along and keeps me there versus like, okay, I gotta, I gotta take a break. (laughs) This is getting a little bit too much, you know? Even in our darkest times, we we have our sense of humor and it's sense of humor gets you through so so much trauma. I mean, you know, sometimes you just have to laugh because the alternative is, you know, Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that's why even from my point of view, in terms of the structure of a story, I have to have some comedic elements, something lighter, because otherwise I'll just be wrapped in darkness. And that's that's not where I want to be. You know, I want to have fun. So it's, it's the comedy is just sort of jolts me away from the darkness for a second. But at the same time, like you said, it just adds depth to the characters as well. But yeah, look, you know, old people, it's just, it's just an old suit. You know, there's, they're still young at heart and they still, they still crave the same emotions we, you know, we do or we did as a kid. Yeah. It's kind of strange when you look at it, the way, I don't want to say most of society, but I feel like it's the the generalized idea. You know, it's it's like you're a kid and then at some point you become a young adult. And some people are like, you know, when you're when you're 12 or 13, when you're 12, you're a kid and 13, you know, then you're you're yeah, into yeah. a young adult. And then, you know, there's like this weird numbers game. And yeah. then, uh, you know, you're, you're going through your teens and into your your 20s and. Yeah, uh, you know, if you're working a ton of long hours or something like that, and everyone's like, "Oh, you're still young," and you got it, <laughs> you know, That's and then it's like it's like where there's some blink. kind of weird transition where everyone is like, "Oh, you're getting old now. Like you gotta, yeah. you gotta yeah. relax." And it's just like, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's crazy, isn't it? I, I even wrote a book about that called Three Thirty Three. That was what I mean. There's lots of coming of age horrors, but this was a coming of middle age horror. Mm-hmm. which is probably more terrifying than anything else. Um, so that was a that was a good exploration into um, the depths we would go to escape from from that <laughs> middle age kind of period. But yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's funny. It's um, yeah, you blink and it's like, yeah, you're no longer a child. You're no longer allowed to, to laugh, you know, or, you know, snigger or laugh until your eyes are red raw. But yeah, it's frowned upon. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I, I haven't gone in a while. I, I, um, since I've moved about halfway, I guess Texas is a bit pretty much halfway through the, the U.S. Um, when I moved from uh, the East Coast down to here. And uh, one of the things I, I, I have in the back of my mind is that I need to go 
to uh, some more amusement parks that they ha have down here because I haven't gone to any of them. You know, it's like I, I moved and then it was like, oh, I'm just not going to go to any of them. And it's, it's just I I think one of the, the interesting things is, is kind of taking for granted some of the things that we did when we were younger and thinking about them, but actually like not going through with them. You know, it's like work will yeah. get in the way or school gets in the way or it's like, you know, it's like you get a family or your friend as a family or something. And, you know, it's like, you want to get everybody together and go. And for some reason or another, whether it's like people are busy or, you know, yeah, the yeah. schedule somehow just doesn't fit, <laughs> you know, having that kind of fun, uh, yeah. man, I like, I would love to go to another, um, amusement park and just like go on all the roller coasters and everything. And I'm, I'm like thinking back, you know, it's like when I did go a lot of the times and you would see, older people, you know, 60, 70 years old that wanted to go on all these different rides. And like you're saying, it's like that kid comes out in them again. And you have other people that are like, I don't know if like you can go on this ride. And they're and like, you can see it in their eyes. Like, what do you mean? Like, I, I want to have fun. That's why I'm here, you know? And so, yeah, it's like, I don't, so I don't think that that yeah. kind of childish. Well, we, we did that a couple of years ago with the kids. And it was funny that it, it took, it took having kids for us to go back and try and, you know, and get that, that feeling of, of adrenaline and, and fun again. It's very odd, but it did. I mean, like you cannot go on a roller coaster and not feel like a child. It's impossible, you know, right. and it brings back all those feelings of, you know, the nerves. Yeah. So go and do it. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> so what, what do you think as far as horror goes and this and horror can be different for a lot of people, I guess your stance or your opinion, what, do you feel drives people to horror and the bizarre? Like, I mean, I, I always say escapism. I mean, that's a pretty generic answer. I, th I think it is. It's, it's just a, a case of, it doesn't really matter light or dark or what kind of world it is. If it's one that you can lose yourself in, I think that's the important thing. And I think everyone, you know, we, we, we prefer different drinks or we, we prefer different foods. Everyone's got their preference, but I think horror is one of those genres that's really unlimited in terms of where it can take you. It can be a love story. It can be sci-fi. It can be a whole hybrid of things. And I think that's the appeal for me for horror in the fact that you can experience all sorts of these emotions, but ultimately real life is scarier than anything anyone oh, yeah. could ever write, to be honest with you. Um, so I think it's just, it is in its essence, escapism. And for me, it's, it's the perfect therapy. It's, you know, it works for me. So, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a, a, a huge merit to horror that I feel a lot of people miss. Uh, I know a lot of the times when I'm talking to people about the different kinds of genres that I'm into, you know, they're like, the, the weird thing is, and you know, when I tell people that I read and they're just like, oh, you read? It's just like, it's like their mind is blown. And it's like, people still read. And it's like, no, like, <laughs> yeah, <tell you> <laughs> the people, the, people do still read, you know, that's a, that's a big that's thing. Crazy. But it's like when they get into horror, it's like the first thing that they think of is like slasher films. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's a part of it. Uh, but I think like one of the biggest things that got me into horror, you know, growing up, was more so on the sci-fi side where you're exploring uh those elements of the unknown whereas with horror a lot of the times it's the fear of the unknown so it's like you get those two together when you start putting the pieces together in that kind of aspect 
you start to really see not only what people are afraid of, but why they're afraid of them and how to approach those different kinds of situations. And so when I look at horror and, you know, people are like, well, why would you read that stuff? And it's just like, well, some of it can be pretty gruesome. Yeah. But if you take, you know, the subtext of the story and kind of look at, you know, what the author is trying to tell here, and it's yeah. not always the case. There's, sometimes it's just, you know, a story for a story. Yeah. Um, yeah. But more often than not, there's some kind of aspect to the stories that we tell that are more kind of either a self-exploration of, of society or um, some kind of like inner fear that we may have. And then uh, other times it could be a commentary on, on you know, what's, what's going on around the world. So yeah. I think there is a lot of merit for, for people, especially that have never read horror, um, to yeah. just just give it a shot, you know? I think, like you said, I mean, a lot of people still, the terminology frown, frown upon horror. I mean, whenever I tell people I write horror, they immediately go to, oh, he's probably got a homunculus in, in a jar at home or something, or he's, you know, he's... <laughs> It's got a, but you know what I mean. It's, it's um there is that immediate attachment. But I and even when I try and say to people, no, I, I don't tend to write splatter or anything like that. It's like you're already fighting a losing battle because they've got it in the head of, of what they think horror is or what their conception of horror is. But you're right. Um, there's some fantastic horror out there. Um, in terms of not just literary horror, but anything that sort of provides a message, an underlying message. Yeah. Um, or helps people um, cope with trauma. I had a few people that come back to me and say, oh, that story really helped me um it's it's odd it's um but yeah you're right i mean you know because I, I i see a few clients at work and i mentioned i write horror and it's like you can see it in their eyes it's like they're sort of trying to detach <laughs> like trying to take a step back but it's um but yeah just trying to get get people over that and i always try and encourage people to try my work even if they've never read horror before because perhaps not nana um but some of the other stuff that's a little bit more subtle because the majority of it is you know you like crows when the bucket list aside um but yeah but a lot of my short stories is is, it carries a much more sort of subtle undertone and carries a message as well and i'd love to for more people to be exposed to that to get over that um conception of what what they perceive horror is yeah it's it's very strange uh when i talk to to some people about the genre and immediately they're like i don't like horror and you're like okay well what kind of movies do you like and they're like you know i'm more into thrillers which technically is more often than not horror yeah uh uh, like a lot of people they really like uh zombies so it's like i'll be like what do you so you don't like horror so it's like well what do you what do you watch what do you read and they'd be like oh well i really like the walking dead or you know uh i saw that movie uh train to busan that was that was really good you know and and then um you know they talk about all these kind of um like fantasy shows and stuff that they have on uh netflix which i guess is like that's probably the most accessible one that and and hulu and uh i have to kind of refrain from being like so you do like horror right it's like at that point it's like you don't want to you don't want to push the envelope too much and have them kind of like just their head explode like error error like you know (laughs) (laughs) absolutely Um, i mean i I grew up uh, like i say in england so i I grew up um watching hammer house of horror the old the old school stuff tales of the unexpected and if they're, they're familiar probably before your time but 
Um, so they were very subtle explorations into what horror is all about. Um, always with a, a sucker punch, sort of a Hitchcock kind of sucker punch at the end. But you wouldn't describe them as straight up horror. You just wouldn't. Um, there's, there's no way um, you could attach them to. Yeah, it would definitely be more suspense thriller type stuff. So I totally agree with what you're saying there. Absolutely. I guess it's just a matter of, of perspective of when, mm. it, when it comes to, you know, what horror is. Because there are a lot of people that will say like thrillers aren't horror or strange yeah. fiction isn't horror. And I think that anything that is really either touching upon anything um, that is more in the realms of the bizarre or situations that you just really wouldn't want to be in. Uh, yep. I mean, for instance, if you look at The Cube, I don't know if you've ever seen any of those films. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's sci-fi. And I'm like, it's also horror. I mean, you're... Yeah. Or aliens or anything you're like trapped. that. Yeah, you're trapped in an isolated spot. You don't know anything about your surroundings you're trying to figure everything out and there's dire consequences if you fail so a lot of the time if you take those uh scenarios yep outside of that environment and you apply it to real life you know going back to you know some of like the the biggest horrors that we face are real life uh there's a lot of that you know all the time Mm -hmm. and sometimes i'll try and relay you know what the different genres and how horror relates to uh everyday life to people like that and they're like oh now i you like you see the light come on and they're like i never really thought about that i'm like yeah i mean horror could be something as simple as somebody who has super bad test anxiety yeah right and so then maybe there's some test that's coming up that they're super afraid of and there's a lot hinging on it you know it's like if i don't get this i'm not going to get that scholarship and i'm not going to be able to get the job and go to the college that i want to go to and it's like what's going to happen then and their mind just goes on this rampant tangent of like what ifs yeah and it's not the same type of horror as like you know uh chud coming up and like dragging you into the sewer and <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's but it, it doesn't bring any emotion still yeah, yeah it's still like more instinctive kind of emotion to it yeah absolutely um but i mean that's why i, I enjoyed writing or putting this collection together so much because i wanted to put 20 very different stories um a really good you know mix of of what you'd term horror from suspense cryptids um you know sci-fi you name it so you know, I'm really keen for people to 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 read this collection just because I, I'm pretty sure there's going to be one of those that ticks the boxes for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, each of those stories for Auntie Beth has been meticulous. It's not a cheap plug, but just trying to explain it. Um, each of those stories, you know, has been meticulously chosen to give people different chills and thrills along the way or appeal to a different aspect of their personality. That was very important for me. I didn't want the same type of stories. You know, I've, I've written 160 short stories now in the five years I've been writing. So there was a good repertoire for selection. Uh, so I, I just made a point of making sure that all bases were covered and there'd be something for everyone in there. That was really important for me. Yeah, I think that's a very important aspect of putting together a compilation or a collection of short stories. And uh, sometimes it's like I'll, I'll go on to... Uh, Goodreads or Amazon or something and I'll, and I'll read some of the reviews on collections and people will be like oh well I'm going to give it three stars because you know I don't like all the stories 
Yeah. It's just like, well, that that's the whole point. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's true that actually. It's true that. Yeah. So they'll pick sort of five or six favorites and still give it a three star or, you know, yeah, it's mm-hmm. odd. It's odd, but um, yeah, no, no, it's like all of them, you know. That's that's kind of you got to you got to appeal to the to the broad broader audience, you know. It's like I even even some of the 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 authors that I enjoy reading, it's, I don't like all of their books, but no way. No way. I want to go on and be like, invest, oh, you know, if you invest stars. three dollars in a Kindle, three dollars in a Kindle, and one of those stories gives you all the feels, you know, it yeah. makes you feel. You know, it has the hair standing on the back of your neck. That's that's worth the cost of admission alone, surely. Oh, yeah. um, just for that kind of sensation. So then to give it three stars, it's like, but that's a whole other ball game. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> I won't get into that. Yeah. So how do you how do you choose um, out of all the short stories that you have put out? How did you go about choosing um, what ones you're going to put into? Um, there's something wrong with Auntie Beth. I just wanted to um, make sure people went traveling down the same path twice. That was very important for me. I picked a few of my, my favorites in there. And this, the second story is definitely one of my all-time favorites in the collection, but people have to read it to find out. But And then I just wanted to punctuate it along the way and sort of mislead people. So they've read one story, think they know where this collection is going, and then take them in a completely different direction by throwing a love story in there. So that was very important, just basically taking people down a zigzag path, not not sort of giving them any pretense that they knew what the next story was about. But yeah, look, it's, it's 20 of my bests and over the over the last five years. And it was, it was fun going through them and, and selecting them and having a guilty giggle, you know, about... <laughs> the, the experiences people will um, will have, you know, following these different paths. I love putting it together, to be honest. Is there uh, a particular story that you put out that you didn't think people would resonate as much with as you did that, you know, just kind of blew up and that you were like, oh, okay, like that's that's awesome. Before. It's a great, it's, a, it's, it's very early days for the reviews, but... One of my favorite stories in that that is getting good feedback that I wasn't too sure how it would go was a short story called My Name is Mark Kellis. And this goes back to my maths degree and, and enjoying solving problems and, and working with numbers and so forth. So it's a thousand word short story, but it's all about, and it sounds really dull when I say it like this, but it's all about sort of algorithms and, and sort of um, problem solving. But I love how that came together in the end, how it just, everything fell into place. And I love that people are getting it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that this this boy is is on the spectrum is you know is, he lives his life through numbers and you know through that's his mode of communication essentially. But he yeah, but the, the story shifts to the dark side. But I but I love that it's it's very suspenseful, very sort of mysterious. But yeah, so that's probably probably one of the sort of hidden gems in that collection that that is getting really good feedback. So as far as writing all these different stories and, and, you know, you, you had mentioned some of the uh, different shows that you watched as a child, but are there any other major influences that you tend to gravitate towards uh, more than others as far as kind of just like drawing inspiration for different stories or? Look, to, to be honest with you, when I first started getting into this game, and this is going to sound really, really corny, but um, I tried not to let anyone influence or have an influence on on the way I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very important for me that this was my voice 
And people would not read a story and think, oh, that sounds like something Stephen King or James Herbert or, you know, Clive Barker would. So that was very, very important for me. I just wanted my voice to come through. I'm a Yorkshireman. Like I grew up around humor. So it's very important for me to hold on to that aspect of my personality and bring that alive in the writing. So I intentionally went into this without being influenced. But of course, you know, subconsciously from reading the likes of, of Herbert and King, um, as a child, that that will definitely have some impact and some of the movies I've watched and so forth. But for me, it was all about just trying to become be as unique as possible in a very saturated market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's I don't I don't want to say some misconceptions uh, because, I you know, I don't when people ask me what I read and what I write, it's generally, you know, I read read and write science fiction and 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 horror you know every now and then i'll dabble in fantasy you know if i want to watch yeah. like star wars or something like that but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna write anything like that um yeah but a lot of the times when i talk to people that write um and make a living off of it one of the big things that comes up especially when you say you write horror and i don't know if you've gotten this at all uh, but some of the other guests that i've had on the show have noted that one of the first reactions that people have is oh like Stephen King so like you're gonna be like a like the next Stephen King or something and yeah. I think there's a huge I don't want to say a huge disservice as far as the way that people think about um, writing and being creative with it but I yeah. feel like there's this weird misconception that people would find being compared to another writer without having read any of their their works yeah. before yeah just being like oh you know like oh like you're like this artist or you're you know you're like this director or anything and it's like no it's like you want to have your own voice and are you going to read something and and be like oh well there's there's similarities with this story and these five stories over here of course i mean everything has been told and reiterated and changed around and and you know packaged differently but it's all a lot of the same source material as far as you know what we yeah. can conceive as far as human beings yeah and so i'm wondering how how do you approach that situation like if somebody was just, you know says like oh you know like are you the next you're going to be like the next stephen king like how do you how would you address that <laughs> to somebody politely wow. and not be like i'm not this is who I am. I'm not, damn it. I'm, I'm not Stephen King. Immediately guide to defense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, yeah, the last thing you want to be, you know, as an author is to be put into a box. Um, and look, even when, if I see a review and um, someone compares me to someone else, it's like, it gives me a bit of taste, you know, in my mouth, regardless of how, how good or how well known or um, what style or genre that, that author writes in. It's really important for me to, to maintain that uniqueness and the only way of, of sort of inflicting that on someone or trying to change their mind is having them read something, you know. So I always challenged them. I said, no, you know, just 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 read through, read this story and, and see what you think and see if this, you know, sort of satisfies you in terms of thinking everyone writes, every horror author writes like Stephen King. Um, so, look, I mean, one of the biggest compliments I can get on my reviews when I look through my reviews and someone uses the word unique, that is so important for me. If I see that, it gives me a massive buzz. That's the pursuit. Um, and when I when I wrote Nana, my debut novella, that was very, very important for me. I just wanted to bring something very unique to the table. Um, and hopefully, 
hopefully, I think the majority of people have, you know, yeah, it's it's definitely, it was quite a risky debut, <laughs> Let's put it, to put it mildly. And it's definitely one that sort of has an attachment still. I'm trying to shake that a little bit. But the unique is a big is a big word, and that you know I get a real buzz from from seeing that word crop up on reviews. That's so important for me. So, is there a particular sense of when, uh, as a writer and as an author, that you found your voice, or was that something when you started writing, you kind of already knew how you were going to approach the way that you told your stories? Oh, you got some good questions here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sorry. Sorry to put you on the spot. I mean, no, no, they're great questions. I mean, I. Like I said, I mean, from the very beginning, I, I didn't really want to write under any influence. So it's very important for me to try and find my voice as quickly as possible. And that's not easily done when you haven't done anything creative for, you know, three decades. And short stories were a great way of, of helping me find that voice. Um, just just writing constantly. First story I wrote was horrendous. It was, <laughs> it was absent of any emotion and all the things we're talking about now, the, the senses and so forth. But, you know, I, I think I had to get rid of a certain amount of bile before, before I found that voice, before I found the good stuff, you know, like sifting for gold, really. And I'm still, I'm still doing that. I mean, I, I'm still a hack. I've got, I've got such a long way to go. But, yeah, I think, I think practicing is the only way an author can find their, their true voice, getting rid of all the stuff, all the baggage until they find the rawness. And when you find that and you hit the flow, as you'll know, that there's nothing better than that feeling of knowing that the words coming out are just unadulterated from the, you know, the pit of your, you know what I mean? You, yeah. you, know, you want to get that feeling when you know you found it. And sometimes even when you, you know, for me, when I sit for a writing session, the first 200 words, I could write them, I could go back and delete them just because it takes a certain amount of time to find that, to find that flow. But yeah, so finding your own voice is, is definitely, it's not something that can, you can just conjure. Yeah. I think it just takes practice and takes a, takes some hours and blood, sweat and tears. Get rid of all the biases and, and just sort of really, you know, just you and the laptop, you know, that that's that's where you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the, the hardest things, at least like when I think back about like when I first started writing before I had like this long hiatus where like I didn't read or write or anything. I just, I got too tired of people being like, your stories are too violent or, you know, yeah. no, like it's all like the negative stuff. It's like, if, you know, people look at your stuff and it's like, they're not interested in it. So nobody's going to be interested in it. Um, yeah. And then, you know, it's like, I go, went through several different classes. One of the things that we do in, in the classes is peer reviews. And uh, a lot of the times people are like, oh, well, you know, you got to work on like the, the, the opening for your, for your writing. And like, that's the most important thing. And so I would go and I would do my portion of the peer reviewing and I would just skip the beginning. Yeah. And I would read it. I would read everything else and then I'd come back and see how they introduced everything. And I think okay, that yeah. one of the, the largest hurdles for me uh, when I started coming back into writing and, you know, just sort of kind of amassing everything. Like I'm, I'm at this point now where it's like, I'm, I like having points uh, where I don't have to do anything. <laughs> so I like just stacking things up and then I can just slowly kind of start pushing things out and have like that break where it's like, okay, like I can, I can get my juices back. And I think that's more of like a, more of an introvert thing as far as, you know, how the, how the writing <laughs> impacts me, you know, I think one of the, the, the hardest things as far as writing 
is making sure, you know, like the, everybody has that huge emphasis on like, oh, the first line is um, the most important thing. And if you don't hook them with the, the first line, then they're not going to read anything. And yeah. for me, I think it's more the first paragraph and then the first chapter rather than the first line. I mean, some of the most prolific books that I've gone back and read, I'm like, but this is the first line and this is like the most driest yeah. <laughs> uninteresting thing ever but you get to that first paragraph and the first chapter and so the first paragraph tells you sort of kind of what the author is going for as far as the sense of how the story is going to be told yeah and then you get that first chapter and you get the idea of how the author writes yeah, and yeah. so i guess with my curiosity is do you do you have or have you had those kinds of I guess I don't I don't want to say holdbacks, but if it's something where you're kind of like, you know, you're you're writing and it's like you write out the first, you know, couple paragraphs, like you were saying, like sometimes you go back and delete everything. But is there ever been a moment where it's like you're you're just staring at a blank screen, you type the first part in and you're just like, nope. And then you get stuck in this weird loop where it's like that first line, and you know, that's got to be really good. Because I tell people, I'm like, don't worry about the first line, you know, just write things out and then go back, see how it sounds and then go from there. Yeah. In, in all honesty, I've never really uh, had a set of rules or I've never really tried to overthink it mm -hmm. because that that's when um, that's when things can start to become linear for me and, and sort of fairly static so I've pretty much tried to ignore every rule in the book as far as what a good writer should do yeah. uh, purely because um, yeah I, I didn't want people to read it as though you know I was writing from a manual I, 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 like I said I just wanted it to to be raw um, I want them to feel the raw emotions as I write. Now, technically, you know, that's something that you pick up as you go along with experience. But for me, avoiding those what you should do tick boxes in, in writing was very important for me to stay away from. And no, I mean, writing, I've never really touched wood. I've never really had writer's block or, or, or struggled with writing or kicking off a story. I'm trying to think back to, to any issues that I might have I might have had, but I, I cannot think of a single circumstance when I had that kind of issue. I think purely because uh, you know there's a little inner voice just telling me to get on with it, ignore everything that you that you've heard, or ignore all the, the social media stuff, all the rants and whatnot. Just just get on with it, tell a story, and have fun. Because the important thing is if you're having fun, if you're not making things too rigid, then hopefully the reader will be enjoying the ride as well. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're hitting the, the nail on the head there. I think one of the main important things uh, about writing and having fun with it is a lot of times people want to follow trends and they're like, well, these five people made tons of money off of, you know, writing this monster series or whatever. So I'm going to write one now, too. Yeah. And the, it always comes with writing romance. So, <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, and it's like, I feel like sometimes it can be, it's kind of like you're you're caging yourself in sometimes, you know, it's like if you have, if, if your rules are too rigid and it's like you want to, you want to have everyone influences you um, to yeah. kind of just 
sound the same. It's, it's like a weird kind of, of, of level where it's like, okay, well, if, if these three authors wrote exactly like this, then if I write similarly, I can, you know, maybe share a shot of success as yeah. well. Yeah. And one of my things has always been don't follow those trends. And it seems like that's something that you're 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 hitting on as well. And it's like, you know, yeah. you want to write the stories that you want to read. You yeah. know, if nobody else is putting them out there, you write, I write the story, kind of story that AI could never duplicate. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that that's, that's the that's the big yeah. thing, right? It's like especially yeah. now where it's like right, you know, you could write yeah. a 10-page story about um, you know, a, a hamster that eats too much radioactive material and grows five yeah. limbs and eats people and you know then yeah. it gets this <laughs> generic story and it's like you gotta have fun and i think that's yeah. you know that's one of the the main crucial things that you you pointed out here is like if, if you're if you're writing and you're not having fun while you're doing it yeah are people going to read it and have fun <laughs> you know oh, like, exactly. absolutely right yeah so it's, it's just all about the rawness and just getting the emotions down on the page and hopefully um giving people some some chills thrills and feels along the way rigidity is is definitely something i'm really really just trying to stay away from like it's just something that I'm, i've always got at the back of my mind when i'm writing and look you know comedy is great for that because sometimes people don't expect comedy in horror and it's a good jolt before you take the floor away i find that quite a an effective tool of, of you know taking people back on that roller coaster back to childhood of the the fears and laughter and i think you can have a lot of fun with that Speaking of like going back and looking at things that you you have fun with, and I've noticed that this is something that's that's been happening more and more, especially with horror. I feel like there's a, a good yeah. resurgence in the, the film community. And out of all the stories that you've written, because you, you have a lot of short stories out there, and I feel like there is a growing draw for short stories becoming major pictures or shows mm. One of the questions that I have here is if you were to be approached uh, by a film director or film team, is there a specific film adaptation that you would want optioned for one of your stories? (laughs) Uh, I'm really tempted to say Nana, but that will never happen. (laughs) Even in the shittiest, no, that that would never happen. But I think, I think Crows was, was a great story and I could definitely see that, um, yeah, being quite a cinematic experience. I think it's got enough chills, thrills, and suspense and surprises in there, I think, to to hold an audience's attention. Um, or we could go the bucket list or we could go, oh, look, to be honest with you, um, <laughs> I don't know, any of them really. To be <laughs> honest, I, I, yeah, any of them, I'd, I'd take anything. But I, I think a good horror comedy, I, I think if you, if you try and name a, a good horror comedy, there aren't many out there. I mean, you, you, I mean, I'm drawn to things like Shaun of the Dead or, you know, something like that. But it's, yeah, so a good horror comedy. I'd love to see a good horror comedy. Yeah. That, that you know, that didn't just start strong, but sort of um, maintained it all the way through. So something like The Bucky List would be quite fun. One Last Shindig, I think, would be epic as a movie. Um, that's a novella I wrote about old people on a bus going to see glowworms in a cave, which doesn't sound like the perfect cinematic experience, <laughs> but you throw in an apocalypse and it's, um, it all goes pear-shaped. But I think one last shindig actually would be perfect for a movie, thinking about it. Yeah, I've got a great cast in there. Great cast. Kathy Bates, Robert De Niro, 
anyway. Uh, so yeah. you got the whole you got the whole thing planned out. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's go for it. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. here's here's all the things. I got I got it ready. <laughs> uh, so here yeah. here's one of the, uh, the the funner questions, and this is something we were talking about uh, before we started shooting recording. I guess we yeah. As I sit here and and have my beer here, one of the questions that you got was if you had to choose a specific wine, what would it be? So quite often when I'm writing, I'll have a nice glass of Shiraz mm. um, just because it's it's sort of quite an interesting and exciting kind of flavor. Uh, when I'm coming towards the end, I'll, I'll generally have a glass of Pinot Noir, sort of it's a bit softer on the palate and just kind of like, um, yeah. I, I, have, I have been known to have a glass of wine when writing. I think it's, um, you know, not, not excessive, but... <laughs> But yeah, I think it's it's sort of a good reminder of the senses and you know um, exploring that in the stories as well. You have an extensive library, so I haven't gotten to everything. Uh, but do you have any stories? There is something like some kind of scent in the wine, kind of like what, how with the the candle maker. You know, it's like your the the scent that comes through kind of makes them either hallucinate or, or or weird things happen is, is there anything like that that you have coming down the the, the pipeline or or something that you've written where the the wine is what impacts their their life in some kind of way there was actually there was actually it's a story called the trip that made it into paranormal the magazine paranormal i don't know if you're familiar with that one but that was all about a glass of wine taking people back into their dreams almost but that was that was a fun journey look i mean I, i've i've Sometimes all it takes is a, is a notion, like a, a picture, some scenery, mm-hmm. a smell, a conversation, and you've got a story. You know, you, you can generate a story from pretty much anything. And there's your first line. You know, you don't have to worry about it. You've got your first line. You just go from there. And that's that's what I love about it. You know, you, you could write a story about anything, a glass of wine, you know, a piece of cheese, you name it. There's no limits. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, what I, that's what I love about horror, you know. It's limitless. Yeah, especially with like horror or comedy. I mean, one of the my uh, more favorite films that I've seen uh, recently, you know, it's the past like two, three years. I think, I think it's in the past two or three years. I mean, it might have been a little bit further. Uh, Attack of the of the Killer Donuts was a, was a pretty fun one. I don't know if you've ever seen, <laughs> seen that. that one. It's on. <laughs> uh, I think it's on Tubi. Um, Tubi has a lot of cool stuff that's that's going on. A lot of like cool indie films. Um, there you go. But man, just like the setup and then like the hilariousness of it, you know, it's like you go in this room and all there's all these donuts bouncing around with teeth and making all these like it's almost like Attack of the the Killer Tomatoes, but like a a newer rendition of it, you know. Um, All right. Yeah. But uh, just, you know, like what you were saying with the, the, the small idea or the, you know, it's like you could look at, you know, pretty much anything in your house and and turn yep. it into something that's just like a what <laughs> what am i reading like what what just yeah, happened kind of absolutely thing, you know? right i mean sometimes <laughs> when, when i get writer's block or if on the rare occasion i'm just looking for a story idea i'll just walk around the house and look for an implement you know i found a cheese grater once and that was that was yeah <laughs> that became um yeah um, <laughs> that was a fun story but anyway yeah <laughs> so um how do out of all the different stories that you have written are there any where, and I guess you, this may be a yes or no, or maybe you want to be a little bit secret of it, um, but is there any storyline that it, that is kind of like interwoven, but not as maybe um, apparent as some people 
may find it. Sorry, in terms of relating to my life or? Uh, no, just in terms of like, um, if it was kind of like a, a universe setting up, like if they're like one story is uh, going on over here and then like another story is going on over here, but like gotcha. there's some little like Easter eggs in between kind of thing. There are definitely lots of Easter eggs in my story. I, I, yeah, I, I always have a guilty giggle when I put those in. The The first story in the collection, There's Something Wrong with Auntie Beth, is called There's Something Wrong with Auntie Beth, and that takes place in the Nana universe, shall we say. So that that was interesting to do. Um, I'm writing a Nana prequel, actually, as we speak as well. So that's that's going to be a novella um, out next year, probably. But yeah, there, there, are, there are lots of universes that um, that coincide, and I do that quite a lot. Again, I, you know, not giving the game away, but people will pick up things as they read through my stuff. And yeah, that that's that that's part of the fun as well, isn't it? That gives me a lot of satisfaction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it's kind of fun to just like uh you know, it's like you're sitting down and you're reading something and you're like, wait, like that that item is one in one of the other stories, or like you get that's like it. the the character yeah. that pops up for a little bit and you're like, Oh, yeah, like okay. Yeah, there's a collection as well that there's there's like cracks in the walls, cracks in the ceiling that are referred to quite a lot of the time because I think at one point we've always we've all stared at that crack, you know, yeah. and had different different thoughts and whatnot. Yeah, so look, it's, yeah, there's there's often a common thread running through the stories, even though they're very unique, but some something that people can attach to or relate back to other stories and whatnot. So, but yeah, there's plenty of Easter eggs scattered through through my tales for sure. So, so like with with the the stories that you're writing. And being as creative as you are with some of these stories, is there a line in the sand where you you won't approach certain situations or very rarely, very yeah. rarely. As I said, you know, just just looking at my debut, Nana, that that was all sorts of crazy, weird, and people probably would think that crossed the line multiple times when you involve <laughs> You know, gore, old people, orgies, and and children. <laughs> That's definitely <laughs> one would say pushing boundaries. Put it that way. But I don't think there's ever been a time when I pulled myself back. I think the first two stories I wrote, I knew heart of hearts that I'd gone too far, mm -hmm. and that wasn't the kind of stuff people would want to read. And I, the last thing I want to do is um, initiate some kind of trauma in people or some some memory of trauma. That's the last thing I ever want to do when writing stories. And that's why I try and approach some things with a very tongue-in-cheek style. And I think that's why I get away with a lot sometimes, like Nana and the Bucket List, because it is very tongue-in-cheek and it's got that humor running through it that kind of softens a lot of the gore and a lot of the the sort of the 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 menacing scenes. I think that's quite important. And yeah, so but the last thing I'd want to do is leave anyone with with some kind of trauma or you know, and there was one person. There was one person that read Nana, that had those exact vibes, and I was absolutely devastated because that wasn't my intention. Yeah, um, you know, it was she. She couldn't finish it because it, it brought up, you know. But that, you know, that definitely was. It's never my intention with any of these stories. I just really want people to have a good time. Yeah. I don't want to go down, you know, and bring them to that that depths of darkness. I don't want them to make them feel uncomfortable in that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I've got to be wary of that. You know, I think every author has to be wary of that when writing these stories. But yeah, it's it's I, I try and not, like you said, maintain the rawness and not let it interfere with what I'm writing at the time. So does some of the stuff that you've co-authored, is that a little bit more of a writing challenge 
in the sense of what you can and can't tackle or is that pretty 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 well discussed and, and fleshed out before you you'll even start putting pen to paper kind of um i think with the uh the collaborations that was um I think we just kind of were attracted to people that write similar stuff. So I don't think there's any danger of, um, of going overboard. Mm -hmm. um, but the last thing I, I, I don't like writing splatter stuff. I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I mean, there are people are, and there are people that are really good at writing it, but it's just not my, my genre. Um, so I didn't, I didn't want to write something, a splatter fest, you know, the bucket list and Icranium gets gory in parts, but I don't think you would describe it as a, as a full on, um, sort of gore fest but so yeah so it was a case of just being attracted to similar similar people or similar writing styles of course there are there are aspects that we didn't always agree on so we went back to the drawing board had a chat about it but it was very amicable and you know it, it was very smooth process mm -hmm. i really enjoyed writing collaborations it was a real it was a real fun experience for me writing is quite lonely at times it can get quite lonely so writing something and exploring new ideas with somebody else was 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 a real buzz i thoroughly enjoyed it and i'd definitely do it again i've written three now so i've written um, a cranium with uh, damon manx or rob obviously the bucket list with keystone and there is another one called mischief night i wrote with eric hansen that has been picked up by evil cookie publishing and i think it's coming out in august of this year that was a fun experience as well. I mean, I, I, I love Eric's writing and that was, again, I, I just love collaborations. I, I, I'll do more because they're, they're pretty quick as well If because you, you're, you're bouncing off, you're passing the bat and it's a very quick experience. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, in three or four weeks, you've got a novella. And yeah, and, uh, yeah I'd definitely do more of those. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's always kind of fun to, to sit down and, and work with a bunch of different people and, and put a story together especially because you get that, like you were saying, sometimes it can get kind of lonely and, and it's like getting, sometimes it's like all you need is that different perspective to get over that hump of like, well, what what do I do now? Or like, how yeah. how does this character approach this situation? And then just having that extra person there and being like, what if this happens? And then yeah. we do this and like th this can be like the chain of events. And then it's like, oh my God, I didn't even really think of that. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm it's a much smoother process than I thought. I, I was dubious at first because I, I'm quite protective writing mm -hmm. on my own, quite protective of my writing. Yeah, but it was a really smooth process. And I think sometimes it's good just to give you a way to go back and evaluate your own writing against someone else's and compare it. And, you know, yeah, it was fun, definitely. And so you had mentioned earlier that, you know, you can pretty much write about anything and, you know, you could be out and about and you, and you see something and it's like, oh, you know, it's like, bam, there's the story. And so I'm wondering, do you have a specific medium that you prefer to write in? Or is it like, you know, you might get an idea and you hop on like your phone's like voice system or something and record a, an idea? Or do you, do, are you more of like the, the traditional, I'm going to wait until I get home and, you know, then I'll just yeah. sit down and write it if it's still in my head kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. De definitely the latter. You know, I think I think Stephen King says something about if, if an idea, not, not in these words, but if an idea is good enough, it'll it'll stick stick in your head. Um, so yeah, there's lots of thoughts I have and there's lots of different things I, you know, I pick up on, on my day. I, I go and see a lot of clients, you know, go to some really nice places and quite often they're an inspiration, but the good ones always stick. And that, that's when I'll get home and I'll just make a quick note, you know, before, before the writing day begins, whenever that may be. And are there any of the, the different story ideas that you've thought about, written, to 100% and just not publish? Like there's something about it that you just need to like back away from and then come back later and finish it? Or are all your ideas pretty solid by the time that you start? In some mode, like most of my stories have been published now. Some of the early ones, I wish I could go back 
and change them. Yeah. You know, I mean, even though obviously someone thought them worthy of, of being out there, you know, you know what it's like when you get a bit more experienced and you get critical of your technique and style, you want to go back and change those stories. So you can show, Hey, no, this is what I'm really capable of right now. But that's, that's an ongoing journey in five years. I'll be thinking the same stuff about what I'm putting out now. And that's just the way it goes. You know, we're never going to reach that point of perfection doing this. It's just a case of just trying to be the best we can be at that point in time. And that's part of the fun as well. It's like, you're never going to master this. It's impossible. You know, so you're always going to get better. So it'd be fun to see what happens in the future. So as as far as all the different things that, you know, so it's like you, you've done the short stories, you've done the novellas, you get the uh, different collaborations out and uh, you got your, your debut novel coming out and you got a lot of stuff coming out this year as well. Um, If there was like one thing that you've learned as far as like a really good um, lesson for anybody else who wants to either get into writing or uh, just any kind of like authorship in general what would your your piece of advice be again I'm just a hack so this is not you know this is not ego or anything like that it's just just from my experience I think what's been really valuable for me and I'm really glad I did this was writing a shitload of short stories um, before moving on to longer pieces. Um, short stories are a great tool in terms of learning how to write well and not wasting words in terms, you know, not being redundant at any point. Um, so just just keeping telling a story without the waffle. That's what short stories are essentially all about. While trying to maintain, you know, those environments and, and character character depth as well. Um, so I wrote so many short stories before I attempted my first novella. And then I wrote 10 novellas before I started my first novel, Chasing the Dragon. And for me, looking back, that was that was the best path I could possibly have taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a novel didn't didn't seem like like a mountain to climb by the yeah. time I'd started it. You know, it, it, it seemed very, very feasible. Um, and just that experience, that sort of um, that tool set of, of writing shorts and novellas and uh, drawing back on that was definitely helpful. Uh, and I'm really glad I just didn't go out and launch a novel into the world straight away because <laughs> definitely subpar uh, yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. So that's definitely one thing. Not listening to other people's opinions on how you should write was another one. Is another one. Just maintaining your rawness and just having fun. Having fun is definitely another one. You've got to have fun. If you're not having fun, it's a chore. It's work, and it's like. Yeah, that's the last thing you want. You know, this this would probably never be a, a full-time career for me. You know, being realistic, you know, the chances are slim of, of it turning into something else, but there's always a chance you've got to be in it to win it. But so to maintain it long-term, it has to be fun. Mm-hmm. It has to be fun. Um, so there, there's a few of the little tidbits. Yeah, just remember the senses. Remember characters have a sense of humor as well. Just remember all the, the key factors when rounding off environments and your protagonist yeah so that's pretty much it really yep all right well we're coming up on our our time here but you got a lot of a lot of really good advice and i, I think the one of the biggest pieces that i i feel like a lot of people that are getting into any kind of creative medium is missing out on that fun factor you know and and kind of just going into going into the creative aspect and thinking of it as more, this is going to be my career, you know, like this yeah. is what I'm going to do. And I have to, these are all my rigid deadlines. And like, this is all that, like, this is, I'm not going to do anything else. 
And yeah. you know, I gotta, I, I gotta have X, Y, and Z done at this point, no matter what. And I think that when we're, when we're being creative, and this, you know, calls back to you know that that spark that we have as as kids, and you know, it's like when you're when you go to the beach and you're you're making that little sandcastle or something, or you're making the drawing that is special to you, and you know, even if like you give it to somebody else and they're like, "What the hell is this?" It's something that you enjoyed yeah. that process, absolutely. Uh, and even if they don't like it, you know, you enjoyed it, and there's going to be other people that enjoy it, and I think that you know, holding on to that and, and being able to look at either, you know, the writing that you do, or um, if you're making films going back and being like, yeah, you know, like I really enjoyed doing that. You know, that's, that's the key takeaway, I think for, for um, at least for me. Really, really, really good points there, actually. Yeah. Returning to that childhood and the creativity, you know, as, as a child, you're always creating, you're always drawing, you're always building something. And as adults, we don't do that. We sort of get our heads down in the sand and like, you know, nine to five just, just goes by. So just for me, it is going back to that, that childhood aspect of creating and just having fun and laughing and stuff. That's very, very important. It's a very good point. And I think the the only difference is right now, now as adults, you know, we get to have the wine and the beer or whatever else it is. That's right. Absolutely. But that's the, that's the important thing to remember is that we're, we're just, we're just kids. We're, yeah. we're all, we're always kids. We, we are relatively speaking and yeah, you just got to have fun with it. Have a laugh along the way and um, yeah, just enjoy it, the whole process of creating. That's important. And looking, you know, another piece of advice is, uh, you know, when your work is out there, you will get some negativity. You will get negative reviews and just, just, just to remember that is, it is all subjective. You can't please everyone all the time. Um, so, you know, when I got my first review, I took it to heart you just can't do that. It's just, you know, if you, if you're putting yourself out there, you've got to expect it. Um, so yeah, but you do develop that thicker skin over time, but yeah, I just say to people, just, just be prepared for that, that it can be a bit of a blow to the ego when you first begin, but a good one, a necessary one as well. Yeah. I mean, even like, you know, telling people, you know, sometimes they'll be like, well, what do you do outside of work? And this is one of the things that I do. Just do it for fun, you know, yeah. uh, get a, get other other people's uh, work more recognized. And this is like this nice uh, kind of collaborative circle, of, you know, like, hey, like, come on the show. We'll talk about some stuff. You get some yeah. more yeah. publicity for, you know, whatever it is that you're working on. And, you know, it's it's a fun kind of thing it's to do. Right. Like people are very cathartic. Yeah, it's just like, very cool how much money do you make off of it it's like yeah that's not that's why i'm doing question. it you know it's that's like if, if you if you're going to be creative because you want to make money uh, i think that's the the, the reverse the kind of idea makes you shrivel up inside that question yeah, yeah. so it's like you got, if you're if you're doing something and you, you think it's a hobby and you're not having fun doing it i think that's kind of the yeah. <laughs> the antithesis of what you want to actually be doing true you know? Absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. And it's, um, you know, I think I think when everyone starts as well, when everyone starts writing, you know, they have this misconception of where it will take them. I think that's yeah. that's very important to be realistic with where you're going with this journey in the fact that the market is saturated. The chances of, of it becoming a career for you, I don't want to be sounding, you know, sort of dull when I say this all, but it's very, very difficult. 
um, to maintain a full-time career doing this. So I think, you know, you've got to launch into this with that expectation. And, you know, if you are doing it for the proper reasons in the first place, that won't be a problem. If you're doing it for fun, great, fantastic. You're going to have a lot of fun. But if you're doing it to, to make money, uh, I would definitely um, reconsider. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Which goes back to what the point you were making. You know, it's cathartic, it's fun. You know, this is what being human is all about. So the, the whole aspect of art and creation, you know, that's, not the the money the money comes later if it comes at all but it's like you gotta the fun part well, you know, it, fun is, yeah. is what exactly. drives like if, the whole if you're life. doing something enough then you know sometimes the money does come yeah you know it'll it'll meet you halfway but um but yeah don't go into this business of writing thinking you're going to be rich <laughs> the new york <laughs> new york best time seller list you know it's not it's not for everyone, <laughs> not, for everyone. not at all not at all look and, it, and it's very difficult because horror Against the sort of more literary forms, it's it's still you know probably probably seen along the sewers of of, of writing maybe. Yeah. Uh, so you know you, you can't imagine you know a, a novella about a group of old people having orgies and their skin leaking being a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. But that's the thing you, you've got to write what you want to write and not worry about that kind of stuff. So as we're uh, getting into our to, to closing here. Uh, one of the things I always like to do is just give every, everybody that's on the show the platform to just plug anything that they have coming out. Um, you know, I, I know you got a Auntie Beth just came out, you know, anything that you're excited about that's either coming out or that you're working on uh, down the road that you want to plug. All right. Yeah. So Auntie Beth, there's something wrong with Auntie Beth is out now. Um, it, it's definitely, um, I'm really proud of this collection. So if people want to, you know, try one of my stories, then go out and buy that one because it's great. It's a lot of fun. It's wild. I've got Gone to the Dogs coming out in June with DNT Publishing, which is one of my favorite stories I've written. That's a novella uh, about a small town where a um, where a sinkhole opens up in the middle of the road, spitting out demons from people's past. Which is, but it's 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 a really fun exploration and test of each of the characters in that story. Um, Mischief Night is coming out from Evil Cookie, I think, in September. There's possibility of another second collection coming out just before Christmas. The yeah, so I just finished my debut novel, Chasing the Dragon, which I've sent to a preferred publisher and a few agents. That is my um, that is a culmination of everything I've done so far, and in my eye, my eyes, the, the best work I've done to date. It's a horror comedy sort of crime caper about a, a about a, a guy that suffers from trauma and to try and escape from the trauma he, he wants to become a superhero and the chaos in the world but everything he tries to do goes wrong um, and he gets mixed up with the the drug lords of town and it's it's just um it's just a hell of a ride that one so i'd love to see that one come out uh, it's going to be a while yet but that that's i'm in great anticipation of that one for sure there's a few short stories coming out in anthologies yeah, there's, there's a lot happening this year. Tons happening, to be honest with you. More than there probably should be, but that's all right. <laughs> you know, it's like when you work. Keeps you busy, doing, keeps you happy, this. you know? It does, yeah. It, it gives me a buzz. Um, you know, if, if all I have is work, you know, it's already proven that that's not been enough. So I, I, I need this. It's, you know, it's my little, yeah, my little side business that keeps, keeps me interested. Oh, yeah. All right, everyone. Well, once again, uh, Mark Taps, thanks for coming out. Mm. Thank spending you. the morning on the show and having a good little yep. conversation here about horror and all the different kinds of things that encompass it and how you approach everything. Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Generic Podcast, where we talk about everything horror, science fiction, 
and sometimes fantasy. Mark Taus is a prolific author with several titles under his belt, including short stories, novellas, and novels. Some ones to note are Nana, Hope Wharf, The Bucket List, Acranium, 333, and his latest release of short stories, There's Something Wrong with Auntie Beth. If you'd like to check out any of his work, it's available in pretty much everywhere that books are sold. For more information about Mark Taus, make sure to check out the descriptions below for his social media tags and pages. And until next time, y'all keep being the amazing people y'all are.